back in, uh, I think it was 2004, my dad and I um, were looking at the, the Rockies schedule, and we saw that they were going to go play in New York. First time ever in interleague play, they were going to play the Yankees in old Yankee Stadium. And whether you're a baseball fan or not, this story is totally irrelevant to that, but just, just bear with me. So my dad, um, his dad grew up, well, lived part-time in New York, and he worked as a bellhop in Manhattan. So he was this crazy Yankees fan growing up. I have Yankees autographs and all these Mickey Mantle, really cool stuff that uh, my grandfather had. And so my dad and I saw that, and my dad was like, I haven't been to Yankee Stadium since he was 18. So he would have been, you know, maybe in his, well, it's been almost 14 years now, so he would have been in his late 60s at that point in time. And he said, let's go. So we did this father-son, let's make a memory whirlwind deal. And so we flew out on a Thursday night red-eye, got there Friday morning, uh, got checked into a hotel, and we took a cab over to Yankee Stadium right away. We were staying in Queens and took a cab over to, to Yankee Stadium. Now, we're talking about the old Yankee Stadium where Babe Ruth played, Lou Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio. I mean, this thing just whistles of history, and you walk in, and it's like for a, a, a sports fan or a baseball fan, this is like one of, you know, a museum of history. So I'm all excited to, to go to this, these games. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we take a cab over there, and I'm fascinated with just how massive New York City is. I'd never been there before. And then as soon as we pulled up to Yankee, the Yankee Stadium outside, the cab opened up, and we got out, and we had our Rockies jerseys on, our Rockies hats on, and we step out of the cab, and we're greeted with that New York love. And it was overwhelming with, hey, the Rockies suck, and so do you too. Why are you here? And blah, blah, blah. And it was like, whoa, like, welcome to New York, I guess. And uh, my dad, being a guy of lots of words, not few words, goes, hey, you stink, and so do the Yankees. And they were all of a sudden bantering back and forth. I'm like, Dad, time out. If we get in a fight, who's doing the fighting, you or me? He goes, okay, good point. And I said, also, there's this guy named Jesus. Like, he's really important to us. Let's kind of represent him. He's, okay, 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 I'll be, I'll be good. So we go in, and we're looking around, and, and the game happens. And we end up sitting by these two very obnoxious New Yorkers, right, Yankees fans. They were making fun of us with our Rockies purple on and all of that. And how's that Wiffle Paul Park that you guys play in? And, and it, that's fake baseball. And... So, but my dad actually started engaging these guys, and they were pounding the drinks back pretty good, so they were getting loose, and, and my dad had shared with them that he had played professional baseball and started talking to them about Jesus and encouraging them and all kinds of things throughout this game. I'm watching this happen sitting on the other side, and as we were walking out um, of the stadium, they walked with us all the way out to where the cabs were, and they were like at the end of the game, Frank... Um, can I have your email? Like, you're kind of like the dad I never had before. Like, you encouraged me. Like, I, I want to hear more encouragement from you. And you said things to me today that my, my own dad never said. And I thought, wow. Words can get us in big trouble. And words can be blessing. One or the other. Words can get you and I in big trouble. And words can also 
be a blessing to others. We're in a series, Down to Earth Faith. We're going through the book of James in the New Testament. James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. But Jesus, in his mercy and restoration, used James to be a a leader in the early church. You read about him in, in Acts chapter 15 and other places. And he wrote this letter to a group of Christians, and he gives them the most practical truths about walking with Jesus. Today we're talking about me and my big mouth. Probably just me, right? My mouth's the only one that gets me in trouble. So, But the fact is, we have to talk about this. And, and what, a, what a, I can't think of a better passage in Scripture other than Proverbs over and over about what it means to, to guard our mouth and, and, and the power of our words, the power of our speech, the power of the tongue. Let's read chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. It says this. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. See you later. <laughs> Indeed, we all make mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and curse come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of Water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If your mouth gets you into trouble, if your mouth gets you into trouble, then you have to remember one thing. Have something burned in your mind. The tongue is a powerful thing. What we say has power, the power of the tongue. Now, according to Jesus, according to Jesus, the, the, what I say, my speech reveals my spiritual condition and what's in my heart. According to Jesus, what I say, the words that I choose to use, is revealing my spiritual condition. And it, it's revealing what's inside of my heart. He said, out of the mouth, the heart speaks or for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. When I read that, I I realized and I wrote it in my Bible, I need a new heart. And thank God because of the gospel, we get new hearts. Because of what Jesus did when he lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins and rose again, what we were just singing about, the living hope, 
because of his resurrection, we are born again. We're new creations in Christ. We are given new hearts. So if you've never experienced that, you need a new heart to do anything from here, to trust in Christ as your Savior. But I need a new heart, and I also need a mind that's being renewed. My speech is not only revealing what's in my heart, but it's, it's revealing what my mind, where my mind is at. And so our minds, we're told, need to be renewed by the Word of God daily, that we have minds that are being renewed. None of us are perfect. None of us are ever going to get this down perfect. Let's just settle that. But we all need to be pursuing living out what a new heart and a new life in Christ looks like. Second thing is the tongue is small yet very powerful. The tongue, do you know your tongue is made up of eight muscles? There's eight muscles in your tongue. And it's one of the smallest muscles, members of your body. And what's ironic about the, the tongue, the tongue muscles, is all the rest of your body outside of your heart, the muscles in your body outside of the heart, get fatigued when they're overused. But you know the tongue muscles never get tired. I may know that to be true. You're going, yeah, I live with that person. I know exactly what you're talking about. The Proverbs 18.21 is a powerful verse. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are or in the power of the tongue. You've heard the old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt you. You know what I say? False. Me and Dwight Schrute both. If you don't know who Dwight Schrute is, go talk to the kids in the back of the room. They'll tell you who he is. He's famous for making a statement. False. So if you've ever believed that sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you, you know that's not true. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. Words are powerful. Words are powerful. It takes 10 positive words spoken to you to outweigh one negative thing that is spoken to you. People can say all kinds of positive, approving things about you, but when somebody says one negative thing, boom, it just kills all those other positives. You know that to be true. Words are, are heavy. And they're powerful. And here's the deal. Words are not equally powerful. It depends sometimes on who is saying the words. The closer you are to somebody, the more impact their words have on your life. I can be at King Supers and the, the cashier clerk cannot like me and maybe say something negative to me. It might bother me a little bit. But what about the person that I know, that I love, that I think loves me? When they speak something, boom, it just cuts your heart. And I'll say this, dads, everybody that's a dad in this room, I don't know why, but I know it's true. Your words have so much weight on your kids and everybody around you. The words that you say as a dad has the power of death and life. How many times have I been with somebody or counseled somebody or been around people and they say, man, I wish I heard my dad say that. I wish my dad would acknowledge that in me. Dads, you have the power of death and life in your tongue. doesn't mean the rest of us don't too, but there's something that God put in, in the heart of a dad and in the message of a dad 
that people need to hear, our kids need to hear. So let's unpack the power of the tongue. James said a lot there. First of all, it has the power to direct. You can write that down. It has the power to direct. It directs. Brings people. It's directing our attitudes. It's directing our hearts. It's directing other people. It has influence. Now, he said that like a a bit in a horse's mouth. It's like a a bit in a horse's mouth. A, A bit in a horse's mouth is a very small thing. You see that in that rain that comes into the horse's mouth when the rider pulls it to the left or to the right, he directs the direction of that horse, he or she, by that little small bit that is in the horse's mouth. And then he also says like a a rudder on a ship. When you think of a rudder on a ship, don't think of our modern ships. Think of like the old-fashioned ships like that one there. You see that it has the, the sails, the wind gives the power behind it. There's the cargo hole, the deck, all of that. But that little thing on the bottom there, on the far left bottom, that's the rudder. And the wheel moves the rudder, and it directs that large ship where to go, which direction to go in. And so what he's saying here is a bit in a horse's mouth, a, a rudder on a ship, these small things that seem insignificant, have incredible influence on the direction of these things. And his point is, so does your tongue. That little small muscle that never gets tired has the power to influence and to direct. So here's what I got from that. My words lead my relationships in the right or the wrong direction. What you and I say, death or life, positive or negative, good or bad, it is directing the course of your relationships. If you want your relationships to be what God wants them to be, you and I need to take a hold of what James is teaching us here. If you want to be a good parent, you want to be a good friend, a co-worker, whatever it is, the power of the words, are my words are leading my relationships in the right or the wrong direction. My words also determine my attitude. Again, out of my heart, my mouth is speaking. So if I'm speaking negative words, then I have a negative attitude. If I'm speaking positive words, then I have a a positive attitude. Second thing James talks about here is that that little muscle, the power of the tongue, has the power to destroy. It has the power to destroy. He says that a, a forest can be set on fire by one little spark. I brought a a little lighter here, right? So, that doesn't seem like much. If I wanted to, I could set a forest on fire. The the forest fires that happened in California, that have happened in Colorado, some careless cigarette, some careless camper, some spark or whatever, destroyed acre upon acre upon acre. Beautiful homes in Malibu, rich people and actors and famous people had their homes ruined because of some careless little spark set it on fire. He wants us to get a picture in our minds that our words have the power to destroy like a fire. Then he goes on to talk about how 
we can tame animals, we can do this, we can do that, but no one can tame the tongue. And as I was reading through that, our tongues can be like untamed animals. Let me explain what, what I mean by that. How many have been to the Sea World before? All right, you remember uh, the, the killer whale? There he is. Stole that right off the Sea World website. <laughs> Copyright, just kidding. Um, I'm giving them a- advertising, so maybe they'll give me something. But if you read, and it, I've been to Sea World a couple different times, and it's cute when the dolphins and, and the killer whales, I mean, these killer whales are like, they're tough, like, they'll take down a great white, right? They have teeth, and they're meat eaters, and, and they're incredibly fast, and yet they tame these animals at SeaWorld, and they train them, and we're like, oh, looks so cute, look, he's smiling, he looks, the, you know, have you ever noticed the killer whales look like they're smiling, and, and all that, but there's been times where this cute little guy, they've turned on their trainers before and actually killed their trainers in front of audiences. It's crazy. What, the reason I bring that up is sometimes you may think you've tamed your tongue. You may think it's this tamed animal. And yet all of a sudden, out of left field, you stuff and you stuff and you stuff and boom, out comes the fire. Out comes the anger, or the, the negative words. And just like we thought that killer whale was tamed, it really wasn't. Don't ever think that your tongue and your words are tamed. Because he said no one can tame the tongue. What do we do? (laughs) Well, we have to remember this. Our words build up or they tear down. Your words are either building up your spouse, building up your kids, building up your friends, building up your classmates, building up your coworkers, or you're tearing them down. We build up or we tear down. Our words can burn down in a heartbeat a relationship. Boom, set a spark on fire, one little, boom. Relationships are burned. We destroy reputations by the words of our mouth. We, we, destroy, we can destroy a church by words that we, careless words that we speak. And I thought of like when they demolish a building, when they want to replace a building, they bring in the wrecking ball. Don't get that song stuck in your head. But boom, I mean, just that thing goes back and forth and back and forth until that there's no building left. Our words do that boom, boom, boom until there's nothing left. We tear down. What are those words that we choose to to say that can be like a wrecking ball? Like, what are you, stupid? Maybe I married the wrong person. I wish I wouldn't have married you. I hate you. Boom, boom, tearing down relationships. Wonder how many of us remember when we were little, somebody said a careless word to you, something that stung, something that hurt your heart and marked you. And you still remember what that person said. Maybe in elementary school, a classmate or something your parents said or whatever. And you remember those words were destructive to you. You never got it out of your mind. And here's the sad part about that is you remember it, but they probably don't. The dude or gal or girl on the playground that said something mean to you that you remember, they grew up, they don't remember you. They don't remember what they said. 
But careless words we remember when they're spoken over us. This is why this is such a serious passage of Scripture, such a serious thing for us to take a, a hold of. Third thing, though, and let's make this a little positive, words have the, the power to direct, the power to destroy, but the power to delight as well. The power to delight. You and I have incredible potential for evil, but we also have equally an incredible potential for good. And our words fit right in to that potential for evil or for good. In there, he, he's given the illustration that, you know, like our mouths, you know, can, can salt water come from a, a, a freshwater spring and so forth. And I thought, what's important maybe there to think about is it's not always just the bad that we actually say. Sometimes it's the good that we don't say. People need to hear positive, encouraging things from one another. We really do. God wired us that way. So your words, your tongue has the power to refresh just like a, a spring has the power to refresh thirsty people. Like a tree, it has the, the, the power to produce fruit. When you eat a piece of, of good fruit, it's, it's refreshing to you. It delights but what he basically says here is that with our speech, I can praise God, I can pray, I can preach, I can lead someone to Jesus, or I can ruin someone's reputation or break their heart with that same, that same little muscle inside your mouth can, can do good, can do bad. And I really think I want to stress this, that it's not just saying the bad. Because some of you might be thinking, you know what, I control my tongue. I don't, I don't lash out at people. I, I have a pretty good filter. Well, maybe the challenge for you then is, are you actually saying the good things that you need to be saying to people? Say it in the living years. Say it while people are alive. Tell them you love them. Tell them they're important to you. Tell them what you admire about them. Don't wait ever until it's too late. Build one another up. Don't ever be like the guy who said, told his wife, hey, I told you I loved you when we got married. That should be good enough. That's such hogwash. Like, dude, get over that real quick. That doesn't fly. People need to hear it. The interesting part about this passage as I was studying it, it kind of ends abruptly in verse 12. You know, he talks about having the neither consult spring produce fresh water. And then the next verse, he starts a whole new kind of line of thinking. You'll see next week how it does mesh together. But there seems to be like, okay, you just told me the power of the tongue and, and I can't tame it. What, what do I do? And I don't know why, why God left it like that. But one thing I was thinking through, and I think it's important as a way of bringing this all together, is that you can't tame the tongue, but you can control it. You can learn to control it. If you and I will bring our words under control of the Holy Spirit, we'll see a difference in our life. You can't tame it. You're always going to be tempted to say things you shouldn't say. You're always going to be tempted to use your words in a way that rip people down rather than pick them up. And I think it seems difficult to such a degree that we, we, how do you discipline your tongue? How do you make it under control? I remember as a kid going over to one of my friends' house, 
and I have this vivid picture in my mind, and we were in their kitchen, and he like smarted off to his mom, and he said a cuss word. I was like, ooh, like I didn't want and she just went like this, pointed to the kitchen sink, and he, she didn't even say a word, she just bam, bam, he went, and he came over to the kitchen sink, she got a dish, you know, water out of the sink, she took the palm olive, palm olive dish soap, go, 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 handed it over to him, and he went, chugged the whole thing. I was like, <coughs> washed his mouth out with soap. We went downstairs, and he called her a name under his breath again, you know. How'd that work? It, it just doesn't work. We need something that's real for us. So I want you to work with me here. How do we control our tongue? We need to discipline ourselves to say, to, to say words that are three things. Discipline yourself to say words, first of all, that are kind. Discipline yourself to say words that are kind. Discipline involves effort. Discipline involves training. Discipline involves asking for help. And so, first of all, discipline yourself to say words that are kind. I don't believe anybody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to be as unkind as I possibly can today. I don't believe that. I believe that it's a trained behavior that needs untraining. Somewhere along the line, if you're a person who is prone to unkind words or reactive words or whatever, you've somewhere bought into the lie that it's okay. It's just the way I am. It's just the way I was raised. Uh-uh. You are a new creation with a new heart. Speaking unkind words is unacceptable for me, and it's unacceptable for you. So let's do something about it. Let's don't excuse it or try to explain it away. Let's do something about it. Sometimes it's not what we say, it's how we say it that comes across unkind. Um, it can be our facial expressions or our words sound harsh. Now, I have three ladies in my life, a wife and two daughters. Men, you'll probably relate to this. If you've ever been told, stop yelling at me, and you're not yelling, and you get frustrated and go, this is yelling. I'm just talking. And they're going, well, stop, you know, that is yelling. But when they say stop yelling, what they mean is your face is all contorted with ticked offness. <laughs> I just made that word up. Your face is all, you know, look like an old man frustrated. Or the tone of your voice is harsh. That's what yelling means in that moment. You're the, it doesn't mean volume. It means the tone. So we have to listen. If, if my kids or my wife say, hey, you're yelling at me, I know what they mean. I'm sounding harsh or my face is all contorted. Maybe your kids say that to you as a parent too. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4.29. He says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So at home, discipline yourself to say words that are kind. At work, discipline yourselves to say words that are kind. Here's was one of the most convicting experiences I've had in a long time in putting this message together. As I was writing this out and after I got through that verse in my studies, I heard the Lord say, don't say in private what you wouldn't say in person. 
Don't say in private what you wouldn't say in person. In private, I can talk to somebody, oh, that person there, da, 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 man, I'm so da, 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 da. But if they were standing right there, I wouldn't say it, nor would you. Don't say it. You want to discipline yourself to speak kindly. Don't say, don't say in private what you wouldn't say in person. And then don't retaliate also. When somebody says something to you, don't, don't go tit for tat on this harsh word for harsh word. Just be kind. Second thing is discipline yourself to say words that are true. Words that are true. That's important. God is a God of truth. His word is truth. He is true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. And I wrote this down. When are you and I most tempted to lie? When are you most tempted to lie? I would say probably number one is to avoid consequences. Honey, do these jeans make my butt look big? Habada, 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 right? I'm just kidding, but avoid consequences. Who broke that lamp? Did you break that lamp? No. Lamp was broke before I was born, right? I mean, that lamp's always been broken, darn thing. That's, that's when we're, we're tempted to avoid consequences, whether it's we're going to get in trouble with our spouse for something or they're going to be irritated with us, so it's just easier to lie. God does not want us to do that. God wants us to walk in the truth. Then we also do it when, we wanna, when we're inconvenienced. You know, you've done this. Hey, tell them I'm not home. Tell them I'm not here. Well, you're lying. Like, you are home. I, I get it. You're inconvenienced in the moment. But we have to be careful that we're not allowing ourselves to lie and sin like that. I'm speaking to me. And then I think another way of when we're tempted to, lie, to not walk in the truth or to lie is coming to a conclusion about something or someone without evidence. You know, I'm not sure, but I heard, dot, dot, dot. Well, that's gossip. You don't know whether something's true. I'm not sure, but I heard, so let me tell you. I'm guilty, okay? I'm standing right up here, guilty as charged, and, and so are you. So let's let the Lord deal with us and work, work through this so that we can be sanctified and glorify Him even more. Be like Him. Thirdly, if we're going to control our tongues, discipline yourself to say words that are necessary. Words that are necessary. That's where gossip really comes in. If you read the book of Proverbs, you'll see about 30 different times how much God hates gossip. Why does God hate gossip so much? Well, Proverbs eleven thirteen: a gossip betrays confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Gossip betrays confidence. When you don't have evidence, even if you do, is it necessary to tell somebody your juicy, juicy morsels of gossip about somebody's life? I've seen comedians joke about this where prayer circles or prayer times become really gossip times. Like, we really need to pray for her because she's pregnant and, you know, all, all that. And you begin to use it as an opportunity to just tell people about somebody's stuff 
when you don't need to. Something may be true, but not necessary to say. And some of you have told this story before, but it's worth saying again um, to illustrate this point. Years ago, when I was helping out a ministry, I got to teach sometimes. And one time at, at, at this ministry, there was like a message or a, a, a service around forgiveness, asking for forgiveness from one another and, and offering forgiveness. And so this dude came up to me. He was like, hey, um, can I talk to you for a second? I was like, sure. And he said, um, I just really feel like I owe you an apology, and I want to ask for your forgiveness. I was like, oh, okay. He goes, you know, when, when you teach, like, I just think kind of, a lot of bad thoughts about you. And, and I really just, I don't like you. And, and I really thought these bad thoughts about you. And the Lord convicted me that I needed to come to you and just ask for your forgiveness. Okay, like, thanks a lot, man. I forgive you? <laughs> Question mark? But no, I did. But the wisdom of that would have been, why don't you just confess that to God you don't have to say anything to me about this, and I'm not going to look at you weird for the rest of the times that we're together, wondering if you've got a little doll of me that you're putting pins in and, and all this stuff that we could just be cool and I wouldn't even know. Sometimes you've got to calculate your words and say, Lord, is it wise for me to say this? Is it necessary? He was doing that selfishly to make his heart feel better. Now, Probably him growing in his relationship with the Lord, he probably looked back on that and said, that was pretty dumb. I shouldn't have done that. So I 100% forgive him. Secondly, how to control your tongue. Yield your tongue to the Holy Spirit. Yield your tongue to the Holy Spirit. When you pull up to a yield sign, you're here, you let traffic go ahead, you make sure it's okay, and you, you head on your way. Let the Spirit have His way. As the psalmist says, set a guard over my mouth. He made that his prayer. Set a guard over my mouth. Lord, I yield myself to you. Stop. Pay attention to the Spirit's conviction. The conviction of the Lord is a wonderful thing. You've been there. You've been talking and you're sharing things, and all of a sudden the Lord goes, whoop, 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 whoop. Don't say that. You do not need to say that. You're at a crossroads. Are you going to choose to go ahead and say it? Or are you going to listen and say, you know what, I better shut up. Let's learn to yield to that. And then lastly, pray before you talk. In other words, let prayer be such a part of your life that it doesn't mean that you're always in a posture of prayer, but you're in an attitude of prayer. In Psalm 141.3, the second part of that verse, he says, Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Make it your prayer in the morning. Lord, change my heart. Renew my mind because from there is where I'm going to speak. You try to clean your mouth out and, and hold your lips, that doesn't work. It starts in the heart. God, and start with this. Lord, it, it, because if, if you have a critical spirit, in your heart, you're going to be critical of everybody you're around. And you'll say critical words. Maybe not in person, but you'll say critical words about your coworkers or your fam- church family or whoever it is. If judgment is in your heart towards people you see, judgmental words are going to come out of your heart. Angry. All, you fill in the blank there. So instead of 
talking, pray and say, Lord, help me say something I'm never going to regret today. Help me be a blessing. So I'm going to kind of bring this to a head. That little muscle that never gets tired in your, in your mouth is a powerful thing. You have to bring, remember that it has the power to bring life and death. Life and death. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. And so I would say this. Part of that discipline is when you blow it with your mouth or your words, say, confess quickly, Lord, I just started a fire with a careless word. And tell that person, I'm sorry for what I said. Don't explain away. That's just the way I am. Don't excuse behavior. Here's what we say often. We say, well, you, I said that because you make me so mad. You just told somebody they have the power to control you. You make me so mad. Well, that's an excuse. So I want to talk to four people real quick. Not individuals. You're like, oh, no. He's been following me around. Four groups of people. Dad, your dad in this room, your words are the most impactful on your kids. They just are. They need to hear, your kids need to hear life from you. Not criticalness, but life from you. In your mouth is the power of life and death. Kids, all of us are a kid in this room. We're somebody's kid. To every kid in this room, and we have a lot of young folk in our church, and a lot of young, uh, young families. The kids that are in this room, I want to challenge you with something. Your words are the heaviest words your parents can hear. Because they're already carrying a weight of guilt about making mistakes as parents. They're already carrying away the guilt and stress of life. And they need to hear from you that you know that they're good parents. Encourage your parents. You have the power of life and death in your tongue, whether you realize it or not. Repent from careless words that you've spoken to your parents. Speak love and life to them. Ladies, ladies in this room, the men in your life's egos are very fragile. It's truth. God put you in our lives to be our encouragers. Not that that puts us on a higher level or, than you. It, it is. Because, ladies, you, you get it. Like, you get it ahead of men most of the time, in most situations. And the men in your life need to hear from you respectful words, not careless words that tear down or tell us how poor we're doing. Just make it. Thank you for working hard. Thank you for sacrifice. Thank you for what you do. Ladies, the men in your life, your husband, your dad, your, your boys, the men in this church need to hear that from you. Then men, my challenge to you and for every man in this, in this room, whether you are married, a dad or not, honor women with your words in their presence or not. No locker room talk. No water cooler talk. Honor women in their presence or not with your words. When you do that, 
We honor the Lord Jesus. We honor the ladies in our lives. So would you stand to your feet with me? Today, if, if you've never put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, I want to remind you that he died on a cross for you to forgive you of all the sin you're feeling guilty about right now. You can give that sin over to him and have a fresh start by trusting in him that he died for you as a sinner, that he rose again triumphant as Lord of all. And you begin to follow him. You begin to... to, to to let Him clean you up. Don't try to clean yourself up before you come to Him or put your brokenness together and then be, become a follower of His. That's how you become healed and clean and whole is because of your faith and what He did. Do that today. We're here as a church for you. If you are in need of help in your walk, you're, we want to be here for you. There's going to be some folks up here to pray and to, to be a help to you in any way that we can be. So let's pray and we'll close. Father, thank you for your word that convicts us. Lord, I have been greatly convicted by this word. I thank you for that. I want to be more like Jesus in how I speak. So Lord, thank you for the new heart. Thank you for renewing our minds. Thank you for changing us setting us free. Amen.